You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. There really is no other plant quite like a palm. Dr Scott Zona is a botanist from North Carolina that's passionate about Aracaceae, aka the palm family. And in this episode, we're taking a closer look at these unique plants through a botanical lens. G'day Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be great. So let's start a little bit with the basics. What is a palm tree and where are they from? Well, I'm going to stop you right there and correct you, if I may, and not say palm tree. I just call them palms because, believe it or not, the biggest question I get from people when they find out that I study palms is, are palms trees? And <laughs> I, I would say they're trees because they're tall and they're big and they're woody and they're hard and, you know, they support wildlife like trees do. But some people don't like that. So I just say, well, we'll, we'll compromise. We'll just call them palms. It's kind of a separate category. So palms are, in fact, a, they're a unique family of, of, of of plants. They are their own family, a, a unique lineage, kind of unrelated to just about everything else, uh, distantly related to uh, some plants there in Australia, uh, the Dizipoganaceae, which is not a very common, not very well-known family, certainly not very well-known outside of Australia. I've only seen some cultivated individuals, and they look nothing like palms. In fact, I would say they really don't belong near the palms. But uh, so the palms are their own family. They're from all over the world, mostly tropical areas, obviously most diverse in the tropics. But, you know, you get, you get native palms in, uh, in places like New Zealand and some of the islands in the South Pacific that are fairly far south. Uh, and in the north, palms are native to southern Europe. Palms are native here in the U.S. They go as far north as uh, here in my state, North Carolina and up to Oklahoma, which is, you know, right above Texas there, so kind of in the middle of the country almost. So palms are, are pretty widespread. Do they tend to be more numerous in warmer climates or colder climates? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, when I say palms occur in Oklahoma, well, one palm occurs and it's just barely in Oklahoma. So, yeah, <laughs> by far the diversity is, is by far greatest in the warm tropics, the warm, wet tropics. There are, there are some palms of some dry habitats, some desert habitats, but even there, they grow where they have access to underground water. So, you know, like Palm Springs, California, it got its name from the fact that there's a spring there and palms were growing around it because palms grow, that palm grows uh, in the desert where it can get access to underground water. So there, I wouldn't say there are truly that many palms that are desert adapted palms. So, but if you really want to see palms, you go to the wet tropics and you see them everywhere. Although I will say they're not evenly spread throughout the tropics. They're concentrated in some hot spots, just like birds are concentrated in hot spots and orchids and virtually every other living organism. They're the, some of the hot spots, the, the big hot spots are the northern Andes, so Peru and Colombia, Ecuador, that part of the world. Madagascar is a hot spot for palms. Southeast Asia and, and Malaysia, New Guinea, those are all hot spots for palms. Uh, the Caribbean is a hot spot. 
Palms are not very abundant and not very diverse in continental Africa, even in tropical Africa. There are palms in tropical Africa, but not as many as you'd think, considering, you know, it's a big tropical rainforest area. Africa apparently was more diver- had more diverse palms in the past when Africa was wetter and warmer, but uh, the desertification that has occurred over over the the eons has has left the palm floor there a little bit poor. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, can you describe their habit and their leaves and flowers, fruits and seeds? Like, what what do these palms look like? So, I, I'm sure most listeners have an idea in their mind of what a palm looks like. You know, if you've seen, if you've, if you're in a, in a warm country, you know, you've, you've seen palms in landscapes. Palms are used in landscaping all over the world in warm areas. If you've seen travel posters of, you know, swaying coconuts on, on, on a tropical beach, you have that <laughs> image of, of a palm. And that's a pretty good image. A lot of palms look like coconut palms, a single stem with a, a crown of leaves up at the top. But that's, that's, uh, that's just part of the story. Palms occur, or palms are little low-growing shrubby things that are about knee-high, or palms are these enormous things that are over, I was going to say in feet, but uh, I can quickly convert to meters here. (laughs) Oh gosh, what is it? I think it's like over 30 meters. It's, 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 they're quite tall. The tallest palms, the tallest monocots in the world are are palms from, from the Northern Andes. The Siroxalon palms, and they're they're just enormous. So huge diversity in habit, from little shrubby things with multiple stems to these big solitary, you know, things like coconut palms, large tree palms that are multi-stemmed, and then of course there are also palms that are lianas, that are vines, or climbing plants. They have these flexible stems. The rattan palms that we make rattan furniture from; those are all palms. Uh, from Southeast Asia, uh, they actually do get down into to Queensland, and so so some of your listeners may know some of the rattan palms. But yeah, so lots of diversity in habit of palms. So that's kind of the overall habit in in leaf. There's leaf diversity as well. Again, if you have an image of a coconut palm, that long leaf with a with the numerous leaflets, kind of a feather shape, that's called a pinnate leaf or pinnately compound leaf. That's one shape that we see in, in palms. The other is the, the, the palmate leaf, and that is you have many leaflets or leaf segments attached to a single point, and, and they radiate from that single point, just like the fingers radiate from the palm of your hand. So something like the European fan palm would be an example of that. Or there in Australia, the cabbage palms, uh, Livestonas, are, are, have that palmate leaf. There's an intermediate leaf that's called the costa palmate that's kind of intermediate between pinnate and palmate. That occurs in a lot of the palmate ones. And actually, I think now that I think of it, Livestona, I think has a costa palmate leaf, not a truly palmate leaf. And then they're in one genus in Southeast Asia, the, the, the fishtail palms, the genus Caryota, that has a bipinnate leaf. So instead of leaflets on Arrhachis, you've got Arrhachis, then secondary arachises, and then leaflets from that. So a lot of complexity in palm leaves. And, and of course, a lot of the classification is based on that, that complexity of leaf shape. So when you say the bipinately leaf, do you mean the pinate leaflets have leaflets on them? So, yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example that, you, that you know, viewers might, 
might know as, as a as a like a jacaranda tree or something. Yeah, perfect, perfect example. Jacaranda, exactly. Uh, so yeah, you've got you've got the petiole and the leaf stalk, and that 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 is extends out and becomes the rachis. And then from that, instead of having leaflets on that, you have more stalks coming off, and then the leaflets mm. off of those. So the whole palm frond is one leaf. We're not looking at separate leaves. That's right. 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 Yes. A, a frond is equivalent to a leaf made up of many leaflets or leaf segments. Mm. Absolutely. So, and then you asked about the flowers. Palm flowers, there is diversity there. There's plenty of diversity of palm flowers, but they tend to be small. And uh, of course, they're often very tall and very high up there in the, in the, on the top of the palm and hard to see. And uh, so we, we, you know, a lot of people, in fact, a lot of people don't even realize that palms have flowers, but of course, they're flowering plants, they have flowers. Uh, but they, typically are small. But what they lack in size, they make up for in number. So uh, a single inflorescence might have literally thousands of flowers. And then lots and lots of diversity of fruit. Have We could talk a lot about the different kinds of fruits. Of course, coconuts, if you're, if you're familiar with coconuts, I don't know how they sell them in the supermarkets there in Australia, but here in the U.S., they, they're sold with the husk off. So it's just the, the hard nut with the you know the liquid sloshing around inside but of course that's that's been the husk has been peeled away uh, a nut that comes off the tree has this big fibrous husk on it that helps it float because coconuts are dispersed by water but then you have fleshy fruity fleshy fruited palms date palms of course i'm sure all your listeners know dates that fleshy fruit with that single seed in the center that's that's uh, pretty common in the palm family there are a few palms that have fruits that kind of open up when they're ripe. They're fleshy fruits, but they split open and when they're ripe. And, and the single uh, stone inside is usually covered with a lot of flesh. And that's what animals take. They, they disperse the seed that way. So I think, uh, and, and then of course, in terms of size and color, you know, just about everything you can imagine from little tiny little pea-sized fruits to the uh, the double coconut from the Seychelles Islands, which, although it's not the biggest fruit in the world, it does have the biggest seed in the world. It looks, it's, well, I don't know if you've seen pictures of double coconuts, but they're, they're, uh, very, they're, they are the largest seed in the world. They, they're kind of almost obscenely shaped, like two round buttocks. They're, it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite something. You know, if you haven't seen it, definitely you want to Google it because okay. it's, it's worth seeing. But it, like I say, it's not the largest fruit in the world, but it is the largest seed. There you go. So there's a lot of diversity there. Obviously, you know, it's a whole family of plants. We've, it's a huge diversity there. I just wanted to touch on one thing you'd said, which was the multi-stemmed. So that's a rootstock that's putting up multiple stems from, you know, they all have a, their own individual leader. We're not talking about... That's correct. Because palms don't have branches, do they? Well, a few palms do. They're actually not very common in cultivation, but... Uh, there are some palm genera that do branch naturally. Sometimes they branch rather irregularly, and sometimes they're branching, but they're creeping along the ground, so you don't really appreciate the fact that they're mm. branching. But other palms, like the Haifidi palms of Africa and India, uh, they branch dichotomously, in other words, two equal branches, and that then branches into two equal branches, and you get this wonderful forking of the stem, and, and it's, so it's quite spectacular. And that's, but that's, that's not very common. 
most of the time, palms are unbranched. It's a single stem. And yeah, these clustered palms, they, they are, they're all one, you know, one plant, one, one genetic plant. Mm. And uh, they have these individual stems that come up and grow from a, and have that single growing point. That's again, that's pretty typical of palms to have that one growing point at the, uh, from which all the leaves emerge. Speaking of the branching, I guess that the vining ones would be especially sort of prone to branching. Would that be right? There are, there are some of the climbing palms that branch, but most of them do not. Most of the, like the calamus, okay. which is... There you go. Oh, God, gosh. What is calamus? Like 600 species. It's a, it's a huge genus. Most of those are not branched. They, they climb. They have uh, adaptations for climbing on their leaves. They have these kind of backward pointing claws that mm-hmm. that uh, hook onto things they don't they don't twine like a morning glory and they don't have tendrils like a cucumber or a or a pea plant or a passion vine they have simply these these long whip-like structures that have these backward pointing hooks that that just mm-hmm. function like grappling hooks and we call them wait a while yeah yeah I've also heard that that Australians call them lawyer vines because once they get their hooks okay. into you, you know, <laughs> yes. yeah. Well, no offense to the lawyers who might be listening. <laughs> now there's no lawyers listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we call it wait a while for the same reason. Yeah, right. once it gets its hooks into you, you got to sit there and wait a while, and it will draw blood if you're walking through the rainforests and the. <laughs> I, I've given blood to to calamus bombs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So is that the only genus that provides uh, that produces that sort of a plant? No, there are several related genera there that have climbing stems. Calamus is the one that's used for furniture and basket making uh, on a on an international scale. On a local scale, of course, people use calamus and a lot of the related genera. And then, mm-hmm. believe it or not, there are actually a couple, what, three other related genera, or excuse me, unrelated genera, that also have climbing species. They they are in genera that are typically not climbing, so pretty, that that makes them especially unusual. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a there there's a, gosh, I think it's now two species of Dipsis from Madagascar that climb. There's a species of Camadoria that climbs, and there's several species, and that's from from uh, Mexico and Central America. And then there's there's several species in the genus Desmoncus. That's related. It's related to coconut, actually. And that has a few climbing species. So climbing has evolved several times in the plant family. But like I say, the the ones that are commercially used for furniture and baskets and stuff, those are all from the genus Calamus. There you go. So I want to switch it up a little bit now, and I want to talk about Canary Island palms. Ah, yeah. Now, they're very popular, but they're dangerous, aren't they? They are. Of course, we're talking about Phoenix canariensis, and it's a, a big, big palm in, that's uh, related to the true date palm, which is Phoenix dactylifera. This Phoenix canariensis is found only in the Canary Islands, but of course, it's been in cultivation for several hundred years now, and it's all over the world. Wherever you know it's warm enough to grow it, people grow it. It is a spectacular palm. It's a, it's a magnificent landscape palm. But like all species in the genus Phoenix, they have the lower leaflets on each, on each leaf, on each frond. The lower leaflets are modified to become spines. So 
you know, if you're handling them, they call they you have to be very careful, especially if you're doing maintenance work around them. In fact, where I used to work, I used to live in Miami, Florida, and there was a botanical garden there. And the director was telling me that their number one cause of on-the-job injuries to to the, the mm-hmm. workers there in the botanical garden are being poked by these phoenix spines. Yep. And it's not just phoenix canariensis. There are several species there in the genus that are all cultivated as ornamentals. And of course, phoenix sacrolifera, which is cultivated for fruit. And they all have these spines and they're all just really super sharp and dangerous. I had a colleague in Florida that noticed that every time he got poked by the pygmy date palm, that's phoenix robolinii, the the wounds would always get infected. So he he did us he he was a biologist had access to a lab and 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 uh, did a laboratory uh, samples he sampled the spines for bacteria and he found that there were more bacteria on the tips of the spines than there were on the rest of the leaf why that is i don't know but so you know when you're being poked with a spine it's injecting all sorts of bacteria and fungi and and unpleasant things into you and then if it goes into the bone uh, it can cause some real problems. The tip will break off in the bone, and it'll cause something called a pseudotumor in the bone, which will show up on an x-ray years later and look like a tumor and cause all sorts of, you know, uh, gnashing of teeth. But in fact, it's it's not a tumor. It's a pseudotumor. And it, it's, it's, there's a whole medical literature on these, the, the injuries caused by phoenix spines. So yeah, yeah, phoenix canariensis, beautiful palm. You have to be very careful working with it, though. Yeah, and as careful as you get. I mean, I don't know of any way to do it without being stung because, yeah, I've had to prune the lower fronds off a number of times off of those trees. And, yeah, you just can't get around it. You have to get the chainsaw in there and there's just no way around it. You're going to get stung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to wear a lot of safety equipment, as much protective equipment as you can, (laughs) especially around your eyes. And... And then just be, you know, very careful. Mm-hmm. And when it when the wind blows as well, they're going to lose some of the lower bases of fronds. You know, sometimes you know the arborist will prune off the the frond, but there might be a little bit left on the tree, or maybe it'll even lose a whole limb, and that'll fall on people and cause actually a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's I you know it's it like I say it's a beautiful palm. It's it's spectacular, but not one that I would have in my garden if I lived in a place where I could grow them. <laughs> Yes. Just for that reason, <laughs> just because they're just just yeah. so spiny, and you know, I uh, you know, disposing of those spines, uh, you know, it's it's if you even putting them through a shredder, you're still just you know, you're going to end up with little tiny little needle like mm. pieces of of shredded spine, uh, and if you're handling then the 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 shredded compost, you know, it's it, it can again can cause injuries. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's. It's not a friendly palm. No, it's not a friendly palm at all. No, it's an antisocial palm. It is, it is. (laughs) So, Scott, can you tell me about the five subfamilies of Aracaceae? Sure. These are are groups that we now recognize, uh, kind of taxonomic groups, and these are what we call natural groups. We believe they are all closely related. The, The members of each group are more closely related to one another than they are to members of other groups. So these are the subfamilies. There, there are five. There's the Calamoidae, uh, which includes Calamus and all those those rattan palms, and then some other palms that that don't look like rattans, but 
have similarities. I'll talk about those in a minute. Then there's the Nepoidae, which is basically just one species, Nepofruticans. The Coryphoidae, which are the fan palms, Phoenix, and Caryota. And then the Ceroxyloidae, and then the Ericoidae. So those are the five subfamilies. So we'll start with the Calamoidae. That's, as I mentioned, Calamus. And the, the thing that makes this family easy to recognize is that the fruits of Calamus and all its relatives in the Calamoidae uh, have these overlapping scales on them. So if you've seen the fruits of Calamus or if you've seen the fruits of Raffia or Mauritia from the Americas, they it's it's looks positively reptilian. They have these overlapping scales. Uh, sometimes they're small, sometimes they're large. You might know Salak, the fruit that it's a popular fruit in Southeast Asia. That's from Salaka. And that's another one of the calamoid palm, or excuse me, uh, yeah, calamoid palms. Uh, and that has this overlapping scale. So it's it's very diverse in habit, but they, they're unified by that fact that they all have scaly fruit. Then there's Nipa, the Nipoidae. One species that's uh, from Southeast Asia now, although it's become naturalized in tropical Africa and Central America. So it's a, a mangrove palm. It's not often cultivated outside of botanical gardens, but it's it's a pretty amazing palm. It's it's It creeps through the mud. It branches dichotomously as it creeps along through the mud and sends up these amazing leaves that, that are pinnate leaves that are several meters in length. And it's it's an impressive palm and, and very important ecologically. It's it's a because it's a mangrove, it buffers the, the the coastline, protects the coastline against erosion, and of course provides shelter for spawning fish and all sorts of other wildlife. So it's a really important palm. Uh, used to be more diverse in the past. There are fossils of other species, but now we're just down to the one species. There are fossil nipa fruits from the London clay floor, which is a a famous fossil deposit from London, England. And uh, these fossilized fruits that are unmistakably nipa, but uh, obviously growing in a place where no nipa would be growing today. So that's that's the nipoidae. Now the coryphoidae. And this is a really diverse group because it includes phoenix, which we've talked about, like the phoenix canariensis. includes caryota, which has the bipinnate leaves. These are the fishtail palms. And then it includes all the fan palms, like Livestona, like the European fan palm, uh, like Likawala. And uh, you, you, you know, looking at those and thinking about those, the leaf morphology is very different. You've got, you've got pinnate, you've got bipinnate, you've got palmate, and you've got costopalmate. But what they have in common is that the individual segments of the leaf are folded with their margins folded upward. The, the mm. technical term for that is induplicate. The way I remember it is it's, it's like a trough that holds water in, so it would hold the rainwater in. Whereas in other subfamilies, we see the margins are folded downward, and that's the technical term for that is reduplicate. So although Phoenix doesn't look like you know the cabbage palms there, like the the Livestonas, you wouldn't think they're related. If you look at the, the the leaf segments or the leaflets, you see that those margins are folded up, and that's that character is is uh, holds this fam- this uh, subfamily together. Of course, now we have molecular evidence, of course, as well. But that's that's a, a morphological character that works, and that's a that's a pretty big and diverse subfamily. A lot of different genera. 
Then we get to the Seroxyloidae. This is actually a fairly small subfamily. Only, gosh, how many genera? Maybe about, gosh, fewer than 10 genera. And it's it's the hardest subfamily when I'm teaching this. It's the hardest one for me to, to characterize because the the group the the palms in this subfamily they just they look so diverse they just don't look like they belong together so you've got things like the genus Pseudophoenix from the Caribbean here from Florida and the Caribbean and Mexico uh, which is a, a little an attractive little uh, medium sized pinnate leaf palm then you've got Ceroxylon which is the world's tallest palm from the Andes we have you have Araneopsis which is there in in Queensland. And and then you have the the vegetable ivory palms. This is Phytelephus, and it's there. There are three genera there that are related that produce these hard seeds that have been used as a substitute for ivory. Uh, and so all of these palms, they they, they grow in you know the kind of far flung places all around the world. They don't really look a lot alike. And like I say, I have a hard time teaching this because. The, character, the best characters that hold them together are all molecular characters, but of course you can't see that when you're looking at the palm. The one character that they have in common is that the, the flowers tend to be open in development so that they don't have a, a closed flower bud. The flower bud is already open, and then the flower just sort of enlarges as it, as it develops, uh, which is kind of unusual in the palm family. And then lastly, we get to the Ericoidae which is based on the genus Areca, which is the betel nut palm. And again, very diverse, lots of different genera, uh, particularly diverse in Southeast Asia, from, from actually from the, the Indian Ocean all across Southeast Asia and into the Western Pacific. That whole area is very rich in different genera of Ericoidae. But then also some here in the Americas as well. So Again, widespread and again hard to characterize. Uh, one of the one of the characters, however, is that the flowers tend to be unisexual. So you've got male flowers and you've got female flowers, but they're born on the same plant in the same inflorescence, and they're arranged in a particular way where you have a, a single female flower flanked by two male flowers, and we call that a triad. And the flowers in triads is kind of a, a unique feature for this subfamily. It's not in every single member of the subfamily, but it is a unique morphological feature uh, that we can use to define the subfamily. But again, there's lots of molecular evidence to back this up now as well. Hmm. So that's the five subfamilies. Yeah, those are the five subfamilies. And they're, they're you know, in some respects, they're they're very different from one another. You might even think that they're, they should be recognized as separate families. And in the past, some botanists have recognized them as separate families. But nowadays, we all agree that it's all one family, the palm family, Harry Casey or Palmy, you can use either one. And then with these, these, uh, these subfamilies within it. So what are some of your favorite all-rounder palms that you reckon do well in an urban environment, especially in a range of climates, and that might be resilient as the climate changes? Ooh, boy, that's a, that's a loaded question there. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, most of my experience is in South Florida. So, the, you know, what I see growing there is 
probably different from what folks grow in Australia or in you know Southern Europe or in South Africa or other warm parts of the world. But I'll give you some 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 of my favorites and some ones that I know do well cr- across a lot of different habitats or a lot of different environments. And first up is an Australian palm, Carpentaria cuminata. This is a palm that's a, a single stem palm, single fast growing pinnate leaf, small white flowers followed by very attractive bright red colored flower fruits. This is back in the 1970s, a disease swept through Florida, killing the coconuts. It was a disease called lethal yellowing. And this palm, Carpentaria cuminata, was seen as sort of the replacement for the coconut palm in the landscape there. It doesn't really look like a coconut. It didn't give the same landscape effect, mm. but it was a nice palm that, that people could plant that was you know relatively fast growing and was an attractive palm, low maintenance, easy to grow. So that's one that I like. I'll, I'll, I'm going to pick now a, a native palm from Florida that is used a lot in Florida in landscaping, even more so now than it used to be, but it is common. I don't know how common it is outside of Florida, and that is the saw palmetto, Serenoa repens. It's a kind of a, forms a large shrub. It's again, it's a branching palm, but it branches sort of irregularly, and the stems are are kind of weak, and they they flop along the ground and crawl on the ground. Produces these heads of 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 palmate leaves, and they come in kind of two color forms. You can get palms, uh, individuals that are mostly greenish, or you can get individuals that have kind of a bluish waxy color to the leaves. And those are the ones that are particularly sought after in cultivation. And this is a a, a palm that is tough as nails. In fact. <laughs> Ranchers want to remove it from land that they want to convert to pasture. And it's a tough palm to get rid of because it's it's very resilient. It's adapted to growing in areas that get periodic fires. So it you can burn it to the ground and, and it'll re-sprout in a, in a couple of months. It's a great palm for invertebrates, for bees and, and other nectar feeding and pollen feeding invertebrates. Hundreds of invertebrates feed on this palm here in Florida. Uh, and it has flowers that are open and kind of open to all comers. So even if you were growing it in Australia, I'm sure the Australian bees would appreciate it because it's the flowers are are full of nectar and pollen and very easy for for bees and other other insects to work. So that's a great palm. I I, I love that palm. Another good one. In fact, if I had to pick a favorite palm, and people are always asking me, what's my favorite palm? <laughs> my favorite palm is a palm I can't grow, couldn't grow it in Florida, certainly can't grow it here in North Carolina. That's Jubea chilensis, the Chilean wine palm or the, the Chilean palm. Jubea chilensis is a magnificent palm. It's a huge, massive trunk, solitary trunk, big pinnate leaves. It's related to the coconut, actually produces fruit that are, oh gosh, about the size of a walnut. And there is an edible seed inside, just like there is in in a coconut. In fact, in Spanish, it's called coquito, meaning little coconut. And it's, but it's, it's, and it's also, they tap it for the sweet sap that they boil down to make a syrup that they call palm honey. It's, it's not honey, as we would understand it, it's more syrup. But uh, it's really, Best is, is just an ornamental palm. It's a spectacular ornamental palm. There's there's some beautiful examples growing in the Botanical Garden in Sydney. And I've seen 
spectacular examples growing in Southern Europe, uh, in Southern California. It loves the Mediterranean climate. So wherever it's sort of, you know, warm, warm summers and, and mild, wet winters, uh, it, it can thrive. South Florida with its wet, hot summers was, was, you know, the death for these palms. They can't take it. And I've seen them in, in their natural habitat north of Santiago in Chile. And they're just amazing palms, just spectacular. I, I, it's just, I don't know, I, they, they take my breath away whenever I see them. So <laughs> I, I, it's, it's a spectacular palm. And, and like I say, if, you, if you're fortunate to be living in an area like Sydney, like Los Angeles, like Nice in France, or any place that has that Mediterranean climate, I'm sure they could probably grow them in Perth. Perth has a nice Mediterranean climate. So, mm. although I've never been to Perth, so I don't know if people are growing them there. But uh, it's it's a spectacular palm, and, and you know, somewhat cold hardy. It can take cool winters. Some other good ones. Uh, Sable palmetto is is uh, again tough as nails palm used. All over Florida and the southeast, it's a landscape palm. Uh, it's harvested out of the wild, which is a little worrisome, but it grows so fast in, in, in places like pastures and whatnot that I think it could be harvested sust- sustainably. Arcanta phoenix alexandri, the, the Alexander palm, again, another Australian palm. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a great palm for landscaping. Yeah. And again, produces, you know, solitary stem, beautiful, you know, these feather-like leaves, and then very attractive little red fruit, which aren't too messy when they fall. So, and I know, of course, you know, that's a consideration, you know, falling fruits and things that can be, can be messy for in certain landscape applications, but this is a pretty easy one to deal with. The last one I'll put a plug in for is, is Dipsis dicarii, the triangle palm from Madagascar. It has these, these gray, silvery gray pinnate leaves and they're in three ranks. So if you look at the base where the where they're at the crown where the where the leaves emerge, it's sort of this funny three-sided thing. So it's it's a little unusual looking, but that the, the silvery gray leaves and uh, it's it's really quite quite a striking palm. Makes a great accent or you know a focal point in a garden. Hmm. And can you tell me about the palm that's in your Twitter banner? Yes, that's that's a palm that that. A lot of people wish they could grow. I wish I could grow it. <laughs> it's a very tropical palm. It needs lots of warmth and, and humidity. That's Licoala matinensis, and it's a cultivar that's grown for that, the, that's selected for those variegated leaves. Called The cultivar is called mapu, and sometimes you'll just see it as Licoala mapu. And uh, yeah, those, the, the, the tessellation or the, the, the multicolored spotting on the leaves is, is really striking. It's a small palm, you know, kind of maybe waist high, palmate leaves, understory palm, needs shade, needs warmth, needs high humidity. So it's, it's, it's strictly for specialists, uh, not, mm-hmm. not an easy palm to grow. And, and, you know, outside of the tropics, I think it, it's a challenge to grow. Yeah, the variegation looks really cool, and I'm not surprised that people want to grow it. It looks almost like an army pattern, like um... no, yeah, you're absolutely right. It it has almost sort of that sort of a camouflage look to it. Yeah, that's the word I was looking yeah. for. Camouflage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful palm. I I've I've never seen it in the wild, but I've seen cultivated individuals in, in Indonesia and Florida, and and uh, it's yeah, it's a spectacular palm. Hmm. Okay, so palms are monocots. And monocots don't generally have secondary growth. But Scott, I wanted to ask you something about 
a term that I've heard called anomalous secondary growth. Now, I haven't seen it too much in palms, but certainly in stuff like yuccas and stuff like that, they will have a swollen base. You're a scientist and you study these things. Are you able to explain anomalous secondary growth to me? Okay, yeah, I think I can, but I think we've got some confusion of terms here. Okay. Anomalous secondary growth is what you see in something like uh, bougainvillea. I don't know if you know bougainvillea. Mm -hmm. And if you were to cut through one of the main stems, you would see kind of these concentric rings that are not the same sort of rings you would see in a tree. If you cut down a pine tree, an oak tree, you see the, obviously those annual growth rings. This is not that. What you're seeing is you've got the, you know, the xylem, the secondary xylem on the inside and the phloem on the outside. And then it kind of stops and produces another band of phloem and xylem. So you've got these alternating bands of phloem and xylem in there. And that's anomalous secondary growth. And it's anomalous because right. you're getting basically a new vascular cambium laid down that's producing a, a separate cylinder of secondary xylem to the inside and secondary phloem to the outside. And that's happening, we don't know if it's a kind of an annual basis or a seasonal basis, but or just, you know, I don't know, whenever the plant feels like it, it's laying down a new band of uh, vascular cambium. And that vascular cambium then is producing secondary xylem to the inside and secondary phloem to the outside. And so that's anomalous secondary growth. Now, what we see in a few palms, and you see it in some, some, some yuccas, some of the, gosh, some of the other, thinking some of the other things off the top of my head, and I'm not coming up with anything, but you see it in some palms, and that's called diffuse secondary growth. And diffuse secondary growth is not about growing new vascular tissue because palms are monocots. They don't really grow new vascular tissue. If you remember back to you know, high school biology, monocots have their, their vascular tissue in individual strands scattered in this ground tissue that we call parenchyma. So if you cut down, cut through a, a, a palm stem, you see the individual vascular strands that look, mm. and they're often very hard and kind of fibrous. And then between them is sort of the softer tissue. That's the parenchyma tissue. Now, in the case of some palms that produce these swollen trunks in the middle, we call them belly palms because they look like they have kind of this swollen belly. Things like Copothrinix raitii from Cuba or Cocothrinix spisa from the Dominican Republic. They grow and they produce this swollen area kind of up high, up in the you know, up in the middle of the stem. And that's caused not by new vascular tissue, but by the parenchyma, the ground tissue, dividing and enlarging and expanding. And we think it has something to do with water storage. The one palm that it's been studied in, Copothranix radii, it indeed, that, that belly is a water storing area for the palm. It's the, the, the parenchyma cells are large and they're water filled. So it's, a, it's a, a form of succulents, basically, a way of storing water for, for the dry times. But it's not producing any new vascular tissue. So right. is that, did, I, did I explain that relatively clearly? You did to me. And I just want to tell our listeners who may be sitting here thinking like, oh, what is all this vascular tissue, secondary growth? What are we talking about here? I'd like to send our listeners to... Episode 38, Plant Biology Basics with Professor Ros Gledo. 
where we sort of go through a lot of these terms. Yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I'm sure your listeners, especially those who are gardeners or professionals who are cutting down plants, and, you know, they've looked at a lot of cross sections through trees and they know, mm. they, they, they know those concentric rings that you see in a maple tree or an oak tree or a pine tree. Those, those concentric rings are, are the vascular tissue. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the plumbing for the plant. It's sending the water mm-hmm. from the roots up to the tree. And then the phloem is the plumbing that sends it down. And we don't see the phloem quite as much because it's, it's softer tissue, but it's, it's doing the same thing. It's, it's, it's plumbing that sends water, or excuse me, sends the photosynthates, the, the, the sugars that are manufactured in the leaves, sends that down to the roots and out throughout the rest of the plant. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all plumbing. Yeah. And secondary growth just means thickening of the trunk as those new cells are being formed on the outside and on the inside of that ring of stem cells called the vascular cambium. Right. And they, yeah, it's, it's, it's secondary because it's, it's differentiating it from primary xylem and primary phloem, which occurs really only in seedlings. So so plants in seedlings and, and embryos, they have that, that initial bit of, of xylem and phloem. That's the primary. But then as they begin to grow, they're almost, you know, almost immediately they start producing secondary vascular tissue. And certainly if we're talking about woody plants, uh, all the wood that you see, anything woody or, or anything hard is, is going to be secondary tissue. And monocots don't have that. No, well, they, they have... They have Woody stems. This is the mm. our, our palms tree <laughs> argument. Yeah. They have woody stems, but and the 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 tissue, the the chemical that's in the tissue is lignin. That's the same chemical that's in oak stems that make oak wood hard. So you know, I it's it's I call them woody stems, but they you're right. Mm. They they don't have they don't have secondary growth. They don't have the ever expanding diameter mm. you know an oak tree gets bigger gradually every year palms don't do that palms are, are mm. basically one diameter and they stay that diameter yep and that's why you'll see you know the crown of leaves at the very top you know that that stem up there is going to be a little bit smaller than the base but other than that it really doesn't change at all along the whole stem no it, it will it'll change if the palm is had some hard times if there's a lean year or you know a drought ah, year yeah. sometimes you'll you'll see it, it it'll be a little constricted it'll be a little thin but then you know the rains come again or or, or it gets starts getting fertilizer and irrigation then the, the the palm the stem will bulk out a little bit but that's again that's all just changes in that ground tissue the parenchyma tissue it's mm. not changes in the number of of uh vascular strands that are running up and down the stem uh, those that's that those that number is is more or less fixed. Fantastic. So Scott, what do most people not know about palms? Oof, gosh, I don't know. I I I think when I a lot of you know I, I used to live in 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 Miami and of course lots of palms there and lots of tourists coming from you know Europe and northern cities in in the United States they come and they say and the one thing they say to me is. I never knew there were so many different kinds of palms. I always thought it was just mm-hmm. date palms, coconuts, and royal <laughs> palms. Royal, royal palms is the genus Roystonia, which is very popular in the Caribbean. So a lot of people aren't aware that there are some 2,500 species of palms in the world. And, you know, there, there's, there's more to palms than just coconuts and, and dates. That's 
that's very true as we've discussed today i mean we've got <laughs> plants that are we've got palms that are coming a vine habit yeah so. yeah yeah i always like to ask our guests one final question and it doesn't have to be on topic scott is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about well i'm teaching a class called the botany of houseplants on zoom in january and if you go to my Twitter feed or, or Instagram, you can find out instructions on how to sign up for this. And it's a four-session class. I don't quite know what the time zone conversion will be for you in, in, in Australia. But if your listeners are interested in, in growing houseplants, and it's not, a, it's not about how to grow houseplants. It's about how houseplants grow. So it's the botany behind mm-hmm. plants. Mm-hmm. And so, I'll, you know, we'll be talking about We'll be talking about the vascular tissue. You know, we'll be talking about xylem and phloem. We'll be talking about different kinds of plants, vines, epiphytes, shingle leaf plants, orchids, aeroids, all, you know, lots of common house plants. Mm. So if I can put in a plug for that, I will. <laughs> the plug is good. It's a spot to plug. Okay. Yeah. That's my, <laughs> that's my plug then. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, well, there will be links in the show notes to your Twitter and your Instagram for our listeners to follow. So it should be nice and easy for them. Super. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Scott. It's been it's been great fun. I mean, I, I, I there's nothing I like more than talking about palms. So. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Palms are awesome. And there's one to suit just about any indoor or outdoor space. As always, make sure you're planting the right plant in the right place to ensure the environment suits and that the plant can reach its genetic destiny safely, meaning that you keep in mind how big it's going to grow eventually. There were some botanical terms that were thrown around in this episode, such as monocot, secondary growth, and a few others. If you're not familiar with this sort of stuff, Professor Ros Bledo and I created an episode just for you, which is called Plant Biology Basics, as I mentioned during this chat. Scroll down through our back catalogue until you reach episode 38. If you've already listened to that one, there's bound to be something else that tickles your fancy. 